0: Hello everybody. Welcome to Outspoken. My name is Justin White and this is episode 88. Uh, My guest this week is Julie G. She is a friend of my mom's. Um, And until a few days ago, uh, that's all I knew about her. And now I know that uh, she is a writer and performer of memoir material Um, storyteller. She's uh, also a visual facilitator. She uh, illustrates conversations in real time to help uh, clarify the messages. And she's a bunch of other stuff. So let's just get right into talking to Julie. Um, But first, I got to see what's in this bag. So I I don't know if you've had, you've had a chance to listen to a few, but I don't know if you've thought much about what you'd like to talk about. Um, And I don't know what to ask you. I just, you're a friend of my mom's (laughs) and uh, that's good enough for me. Uh, My mom tends to hang out with some pretty fantastic people. So, you Uh you came highly recommended and uh, yeah, I would just love to hear about, you know, a little bit about your story yeah either past um, or present or or both or non chronological or however you wanna okay get, you um, tell it
1: yeah, I guess I guess the the story that might be that I'm currently sort of trying to figure out different ways to tell it um are we kind of touched on it a little bit in our pre record bit, but um I as an artist am a I write and perform autobiographical material and it tends to be somewhat um, revealing content um, Some people might think it's sort of daring to talk about um, well, the, the show that I'm currently doing which is about working with a sex surrogate and as someone I'm uh, who used to be, I'm still shy on the inside, but um, it's not as convincing. But I still <sighs> am a shy person and definitely an introvert. And I never had, um, I guess my idea when I think about people getting up on stage and performing, that persona is not one that I relate to or that I f- think that I am, like I wasn't a theater kid. And so it's uh, I was someone who for most of my young life and into – just, you know, last week probably (laughs) um, (laughs) used invisibility as a coping mechanism. It was very, it's comfortable for me to be invisible in a group. And so um, it's interesting to me that I have chosen uh, this art form that's an extreme exposure, you know, to get in front of an audience to, to be telling my own story about something that usually starts off for me as, as a thought, like I would never want to get on stage and talk about that. So it's kind of wacky to me that what, that, that I do that, (laughs) given my history of, um, feeling much more comfortable being invisible.
0: Right. So do you have, do you know, do you have an understanding of how that came to pass?
1: Um, I don't know that that I have necessarily the one answer for that, but I what what in what we were just talking about was you know a desire that I had as a child and um, to know what I wanted to be when I grow up. Like that question was um, I don't know that I ever actually considered that question as a child, but it was more like in my. Uh, college years. And um, until I was 40, I, I worked in a restaurant. I waited tables for 25 years. And I, um, that was a type of work that I ended up in. And it was always, um, it felt to me like it was the thing I was doing until I figured out what I was really supposed to be doing. So right. when I was getting into the you know, over twenty years of doing that, and <laughs> it seemed like I should have figured it out by now, uh-huh. and I, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a lot of pride around uh, working in a, a restaurant, um, and I had a lot of shame around that, and it was always a painful question in social situations. Or so, what do you do? You know, right. um,
0: it's not grown up enough to have that. Right.
1: Job. You know, or even when I was waiting tables, people would say to me, so what else do you do? Um, uh, so, you know, even in the even in the work itself, people were assuming that there is something else that one must be doing. Right. You know, you don't grow up wanting to be a waiter. Right. Uh,
0: but it is one of those jobs. Sorry to interrupt. Um, no. It, it is one of those jobs that. I, it's similar to mine now as a dog walker. Where once you've been doing it for a certain number of years, there it's almost impossible to imagine what else you could do for the for the that you know takes the same amount of time and and has the same right. return and it's enjoyable enough. Or you know, like I couldn't, I can't. After being outside for twenty two years, I could never, ever, ever go work in an office. You know? Right. For any amount of time. Yeah. um, So, and I waited tables too and and felt stuck doing it longer. I didn't do it for that long. I didn't do any job for that long until dog walking. But when I waited tables, it always felt like I was being pulled back to it because it was better than this or better than that. It's better than whatever else was available.
1: I never, I I mean, I never really did anything but wait tables. If I think I, you know, I got my first job in a restaurant when I was 16, which was cooking, um, oddly enough. So I had a little bit of back of the house. But by the time I was 17, I was front of the house and I worked in restaurants until I was 40. So I don't know if I did the math right there, but um, certainly enough time. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. that's a career. Uh, yeah, um, and
1: it, it it is one of those things that it's hard to imagine. How do I apply these skills in some other way? I I I, I certainly had lots of ideas and went running down many different paths, thinking I'll be a social worker. I'm going to be a I'll be a DJ. I'll, I'll do voiceover. Right. <laughs> um,
0: did you try any of those things, or were they just? Did they I
1: would piping? start down the path of like taking classes or learning about it, um, and there were varying you know, degrees of length of time down the path, but inevitably right. I would, I thought that I just was, I didn't have the stick-to-itiveness to um, follow through uh, with something, but I think in retrospect, I, it was really that I was trying these different things on and they didn't fit, um, right. but it felt like I was just somebody who didn't have enough gumption or focus or Is that what you were being
0: told by someone?
1: Um, not that I am aware of, though obviously that message came from somewhere, but I didn't have a family that, you know, had that kind of expectation or disappointment. Yeah. Um,
0: it does seem like you can internalize that stuff from from somewhere without it being your direct family, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it seems like you can just pick it up that you're supposed to be this certain way, and then you beat yourself up when you're not. Uh, at least that's what a lot of people do. Yeah. But you were, because you were saying you had. I mean, you at first when you were younger, you didn't know what you wanted to do, but you thought that it was just something that one day arrived, right? You thought you would just have this epiphany and you'd suddenly know. And if you didn't, then something was wrong with you
1: right well i really right. wanted to be yeah swept away by something like a drive yeah. like i've just got to be a banker you know like <laughs> or a right. candlestick yeah. maker like i was waiting for that thing to grab me i guess and um i guess you know um I was smart. I did well in school. And so I also had some idea from somewhere that, you know, well, you're so smart, you shouldn't be waiting tables. Um, right. even though that's a tremendously challenging work that is highly underrated and undervalued. And, um, totally. when I think about the work that I do that I've done for the last 10 or 12 years as, a you know, in the world of uh, facilitation, uh, meeting facilitation, corporate meeting work, uh, and visual facilitation, which is the real-time drawing of conversations as they happen. Like, all of that wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't developed many of the skills that I developed waiting tables.
0: Um, yeah. I could see that.
1: Yeah. So, um Yeah. It, uh and I wouldn't have um when I talk about being a former shy person, it was very difficult to learn to wait tables and not the mechanics of it, but the uh having to go talk to people that I didn't know right. um
0: different people all the time,
1: yeah, I would say for the first ten years of that career, um I had a lot of anxiety about that the first walking up to a table,
0: wow, and ten years.
1: Probably, yeah, in which there was some level of discomfort or awareness around it. And then the last 15 years, I was probably very um, uh, jaded <laughs> right. mm-hmm. and like, you know, I can handle it uh, attitude around um, dealing with the public and, and all of that. But uh, grateful for it because I, it forced me to learn how to be in the world with people um, as opposed to uh, hiding from people.
0: Right. So, so do you think it was during that, that long career waiting tables that you decided that invisibility was not the the mode for you anymore? Or what, like, how did that, how did that come off? Or how did you, did you say like, I'm going to go do improv and figure out?
1: No, you know, so, um, What got me out of waiting tables? Well, there was a period, was I waiting tables? Yeah. I think um, maybe 20 years ago, I got the idea of one of idea number like 12 or something that I should do voiceover because people would tell me that I had a nice sounding voice. And so I thought that was gonna be my thing that I should do. And what I learned uh when I was started taking classes was that you really have to act. <laughs> I right. thought you decided to have a pleasant sounding voice. Um and I and was too you actually
0: sh- perform, huh?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was too um shy. I felt that felt I was like, that wasn't what I was signing up for. I, right. I didn't think that I could do that. So I abandoned that. But um I had a very influential mentor uh, that I met at community college. I got my undergraduate degree at UC Santa Cruz in filmmaking and then immediately turned around and went back to waiting tables and really didn't do much with that degree. So at 40, I was taking classes at City College in San Francisco of all different kinds of things that I was interested in, radio production, um and various things. And that was a vo- vocationally focused school, which the university of California, at least when I was there, nobody said anything about getting a job later. <laughs> right. Um, and so I uh, met a teacher in a graphic design class. Cause that was something I also thought that maybe this is the thing that I should do at 40 was to become a graphic designer. And, um, She was a facilitative teacher as opposed to a, um, you know, disseminating information and testing people teacher, and I was very inspired by things that I learned, and one of the things that I learned was about graphic recording, which is this real-time drawing um, for groups uh, as a way to facilitate a conversation you draw, you know, a big mural-sized visual map words and images of what the group is talking about as a way to document it or um, facilitate their understanding. And so I got interested in that and ended up getting a degree in organization development uh, and a master's degree in that. And um, I was really interested in group, what happens in a group, and designing group processes to help groups of people figure out how to solve the problem or answer the question that they're stuck with. And what I found was that I loved the designing of the process, but when it came to being in the room and standing in front of the room and saying, okay, everybody, you get a flip chart and go to your breakout. Like it was really, um, difficult for me to command any space. I felt very, um, stifled and small and, um, I just couldn't step into being myself in front of the group. It was very difficult. So I decided um, to take this class called the Solo Performance Workshop, where you would write an autobiographical 15-minute one-person show over the course of eight weeks, and then you'd perform it in front of an audience, which sounded horrifying. It's not so scary. (laughs) Exactly. It sounded horrifying, but also kind of exciting. But really what I thought was, if I live through that experience, I won't have any problem telling people to go to a breakout. Like That's going to be like no big deal if I can do this thing. So I did it because I wanted to get through my fear and become a better facilitator.
0: That's cool. And did it work?
1: Well, what happened was I ended up I had no intention of like, I was just going to do this thing once, you know, like jump through the ring of fire. And, um, I really liked it. I had, um, I guess I should backtrack and say that my undergraduate degree, I started off as a creative writing major, but I got very scared, um, with the pressure and procrastination and performance anxiety about writing and sharing writing in class and, getting writing done on time. And so um, I abandoned that creative writing undergraduate degree uh, in favor of filmmaking, because it seemed slightly easier at that time. But um, I so I had always wanted to be a writer since I was a kid. So I guess it's not true to say that I didn't have something I thought I wanted to do. uh, But I never wrote, I was afraid to write. And so this writing to perform and then performing my writing to an audience and getting that kind of feedback and also in class developing the content was much more engaging than some idea I had about a writer being alone and, you know, toiling away with your writing. Right. Um, so your I really bo- liked it. bottle
0: of, of alcohol, whatever it is.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Um, but it was really fun to get the immediate response of people um, to the content and that it was surprising, like things that I thought were funny, other people maybe didn't think they were funny, they might have thought it was painful or things that I thought were kind of sad they were laughing at and, (laughs) and, and other things were congruent you know, things I thought were funny, they also thought were funny, so it was just it totally surprised me when I performed that first show, I was totally surprised how much I really liked it and I turned right back around and I took that class like 12 times in a row over the next oh. 7 years. Wow,
0: that's amazing. And it yeah. helped you more each time? Like it just you just got more and more into that world. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well the thing was that that class I went to see before I took the class, I watched some other students that had taken the class and done work and I was really struck by these true stories that people were telling about things that they had done that I kept thinking as I was watching these different performers going oh my god I can't believe she's telling us that like and I'm so glad she's telling us that right but it was it was edgy you know these weren't these weren't like you know oh my summer vacation stories they were like I lied to my friend and cheated on my husband or whatever kind of stories that were, um, it felt daring and exhilarating. And so when I signed up for that class, I kind of made a promise to myself that I wasn't going to rely on my sense of humor and tell some snappy stories about waiting tables that if I was going to do it, I wanted to pick something that was definitely a little challenging, you know, for me that was going to take me to, to that place that I had seen other people do. And so I told a story about something that I had never really talked to anyone about, that I had a certain degree of humiliation around and shame. And um, it was a transformative experience to take this wound and it became material that I could start to play with and look at and, and get feedback from other people on and then to perform it and have some after I performed that first show someone came up to me and said, "Oh my god I had that same experience and it was um very connecting
0: yeah that's that really surprising. cool yeah um is that is that something you've been able to do all your life where you just sort of make a deal with yourself like i I need to do this and I'm gonna commit to it and it's gonna be hard but it's good for me and I need is is that something you're Able to just say you're going to do and then do it?
1: I don't, I think up until that point, I avoided that. I played a very safe, be quiet, don't be noticed. I, and I had never had, um, I don't think I ever, I was, I didn't really learn about how to make a goal until I was in my 40s. I just assumed that things happened. And I think that's why, you know, I was waiting for something to happen for a very long time. Um, And uh, not just waiting tables, but actually waiting for something to happen while I was waiting tables. And it didn't, I was not aware that one could dream up something that they wanted to have happen and then go make that happen. still struggle with certainly the art making process of you know getting stuck and uh, the ante just seems to be getting you know keeps getting raised
0: (laughs) okay
1: i don't know who whose idea that was um in life but uh you know like the stakes
0: Just in general and like the stakes get higher as you get older or do you mean something specific more
1: for my work in terms of, so when I talk about that first show that I did and talking about something that I'd never shared, I um, talked about a lifelong pattern that I had had of um, always falling in love with my straight best friends, my female straight best friends and having this sort of unrequited love longing that never gets fulfilled and, mm-hmm. um, you know, at 17, it was kind of like, oh, but by the time I was 40, it was like, oh, it's kind of pathetic. <laughs> you know, I, I had shame it was around happening. it. Yeah. I was, was it like, happening again and again? Yeah. I was like, really? You know, as oh, much man. as I had intellectual, like, I know this is just not a good thing, but yeah. And so, um, that's the story that I told, uh, and that felt risky very risky
0: yeah for, especially for a it. first for a first thing to be revealing that's pretty major
1: right and and it, cuz it wasn't something that i even talked to my friends about i mean it was usually my best friend that i was longing for anyway so it's not like i could hash it out with her right. <laughs> um, but it was Did you ever that... did
0: you ever have that conversation with one of your oh, straight it would, all, who, yeah,
1: it would always get to that after usually around the 3 year mark there would be this sort of confession like oh i think i'm in okay. love with you and they'd be like oh i really like you but not that way so and then would um, the
0: friendship continue or would that cause it to dissolve
1: it usually would it, but it would require a lot of painful you know grieving on my end um yeah. my, the friend was usually not as disappointed uh, they were disappointed that i was in pain around that or might need to you know disappear for a while because they're like hey right. what happened to my good friend we had so much fun all the time and <laughs> right so like, i can't um, be
0: anywhere near you because i have exactly. these weird feelings
1: <laughs> yeah yeah so unrequited it love
0: sucks it's such, it's such a shitty one-way street it's not yeah. fun
1: yeah. So, um,
0: so, so did you, I mean, were you aware of what that might mean for you, like in psychological terms? Like, you're, you're picking these unavailable women. Uh, is there something? Why you, is that uh, thought you might be avoiding, or had, did you have any consciousness <laughs> around that? <or? laughs>
1: um, yes, I've invested a significant amount of money on all kinds of healing around that. Um, right. Yeah, I think, you know, I could give you my nutshell psychological explanation for that. Only if only if you want to. I'm, sure, I'm happy yeah, to. Yes. So yeah. um, when I was, I, well, this is what I think it was mostly. When I was 11, I, um, I had a very close relationship with my grandmother. My mother was a single mother. So, okay, well, I'll just give you the backtrack a little bit. My mother was married and had three children, you know, 1956. Um, She was 22, 23, 24, one, two, three, boom, three children. She's a housewife, a smart woman, but her options were to be either a teacher or a nurse, and that just wasn't her disposition. So she was relatively unhappy in her marriage. She had three children, seven, eight, nine years old. She had an affair Um, my mother's white and was married to a white man and, uh, the children were blonde and blue eyed. And so, um, my mother had an affair with a, um, Peruvian man, a Brown man. And, um, that ended her marriage. And she got pregnant with me. So I was brought into this family. My siblings were 8, 9, and 10 years older than me and obviously looking quite different. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had, you know, this experience of definitely being an other on the outside, just even um, chronologically in right. age, being significantly younger. And then also this family that kind of blew up um, upon my arrival and so I, um, my mother became suddenly a, you know, a single parent with four children, 1966. Wow. um, When, which that wasn't necessarily done a lot. Nope. <laughs> and, and, um, I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, her mother, um, as a child and had a quite close relationship with her. And when I was 11, my grandmother committed suicide and that was a devastating Hmm. experience for me sorry yeah as a child or and uh, on many many uh, um many many levels but just loss um and so i i feel like part of my decision um soul wise was um i I feel like my um tendency towards chasing after someone unavailable to love me is in some ways kind of a loss prevention strategy um, that I get to long for relationship, but I don't run the very high risk of actually caring for someone and being loved by someone and, and potentially experiencing the devastating loss of that, which is what my experience was um, as an 11-year-old, right. having my grandmother not only die, but to actually choose to leave the way that she did. Uh, And the meaning that I made of that as an 11 year old who was not really given any emotional support of how to process that experience that we we weren't a family that talked about things and I didn't go see a therapist or anything. So I kind of lived through that on my own. (laughs) Your
0: mom gave you no guidance at all?
1: Not not much. I mean, it was her mother, right? And and all of the I complexities mean, of their relationship, plus this, you know.
0: But doesn't that also mean she has an insight into who she is as a person that would be helpful to share, you know? Like it would make you her feel, mother. yeah, feel like you might feel less like it had anything to do with you if she could point to something and say, well, she's always oh, had yeah. trouble with...
1: Yeah, I think so, but I don't know. It was probably a combination of her own overwhelm. I mean, I'm sure that was a painful experience for her. Plus, you know, she's still she has an 11 year old and a um, 19, 20, 21 year olds, um, and. I think also, at least in our family, and also at that time, there just wasn't a lot of like, let's talk about our feelings. (laughs) So I don't recall receiving very much, Like, how's it going, Julie? (laughs) How are you feeling? What's going on? Or if I did, I probably didn't respond to it much. I think I was sort of raised to sort of like not be too emotional because my mother had enough going on. I didn't want to add to her workload, so to speak.
0: Yeah. And what was your relationship like with your siblings as you got older?
1: Well, I never, you know, it was always, I had both the experience of being the youngest of four and being an only child because my siblings were old enough that by the time I was about 11 or so, my mother had established herself in a career and was able, was making money and was not struggling struggling like she was when I was born and my siblings were pretty much sort of on their own right they're like out of the house and um, young adults and so I had a very sort of merged relationship with my mother as an and I felt much like an only child and because she had more freedom and more money and things that she wanted to do finally as a smart intellectual woman um there was a way of, of life and life experiences she wanted to have that were not available to her when she was, you know, 10 years prior. Right. So we went, she took me out with her friends a lot, out to dinner, went to see a lot of, you know, foreign films and to the ballet and all of those kinds of cultural experiences that my siblings never were exposed to. Um, and so it was just a very different dynamic and yeah. uh didn't have much connection to my siblings my sister's 10 years older than me and my two brothers were 8 and 9 years older than me and i've had a challenging relationship with the youngest the my brother who's 8 years older than me was you know teased me a lot as a kid and understandably i'm i'm sure i presented a you know a threat to his position in the family having been the baby for 8 years and losing yeah. that to um, to someone so there's been a lot of my experience of him growing up was a very antagonistic and teased a lot and just uh, generally unpleasant
0: <laughs> yeah that stuff is so hard to get over when it's like embedded like that when there's uh-huh. like a pa- pattern of w- wounds yeah Do you want to say more about that story and what it what it led to? Talk like which I, I, story? Well, the one the one you told about falling in love. Like, is did that oh. continue on to be a th- a theme, or was that just? Do I still do that? Still a, do that? <laughs> are um, you still do. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah, Like, are you have you found a? Has
0: I have it found yet? willing. Mm-hmm.
1: I have found willing participants to be in relationship with, but I, uh, in general, I mean, I don't know. I guess uh, it would depend on how I want to define success, but. uh, My love life has been the majority of the content of the 14 shows uh, that I did, you know, subsequently. And um, it's in some ways the content of the, you know, the current show that I'm working on right now, um, which is about the experience of being, um, I just turned 54 the other day, but. um, Happy birthday. Thank you.
0: Happy quarantine uh, birthday. It's yeah. Be, becoming yeah. a big club now. I know. Everybody that gets to spend their their special day locked up and not seeing anybody.
1: Yeah. Uh, I did have a socially distant uh, birthday
0: at the okay, beach. Okay, good. Oh, good. Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt.
1: No. Um, so anyways, my current show is about the experience of being a gold star lesbian which is a are, are you familiar with that phrase? I'm not. It's um it's a term that is sometimes applied to. Uh, or platinum gay, gay people or lesbian person, lesbian woman who has not had sex with the opposite sex. So a gold star lesbian is a a woman that's not had sex with a man. Got Um, there could be platinum gay males who would not have had sex with women. So anyways, um, I was a gold star lesbian and, uh, but I've always liked men. I've had male friends. I just always fell in love with women. And, and so I never had the experience of having sex with men. And it was always kind of a curiosity in the back of my mind, like, why not? Why didn't that happen for me? Um, and also having, frankly, a fantasy about sex with men. So I decided that I was going to just, you know, turn in the gold star and have the experience because i'm an adventurous person and do i really did i did i want to get to the end of the ride and not have done that one you know like the amusement park of life is closing and you didn't ride the sex with men ride and now you don't get to so i decided that (laughs) you have to be
0: this alive to do this to ride this ride (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be kind of a bummer if I passed the gate and they're like, "Oh, yope, that that was only available for the living that right. you missed your chance."
0: Or maybe um, we're wrong and you, sh- you know, you show up in heaven <laughs> and it's like a huge orgy for everybody. Or, or it's,
1: right. You know. Or, I mean, it's still possible that I could show up and there would be like, oh, the Gold Star lesbians get to go. Oh, nope, not you. You don't get to go into the special club. Right. So. Well,
0: I was going to ask, like, that it seems like kind of a big deal to give up that status, at least within the lesbian community. Is it? Is it? Is that considered well, like wrong in some like, ways? Or,
1: um, there's certainly, um, There are certainly – I think it's kind of a generational thing. I I think that there are certainly some lesbians who um, prefer to – that wouldn't be interested in dating someone who's considering having sex with a man. (laughs) Right. Um, Or if the last time you had sex with a man was a really long time ago and there's no way in the world you would ever want to have sex with a man again, there's certainly lesbians that – you know, hold some of that perception. But I think that that's a old, I would maybe say potentially older. I mean, you know, younger people are so much more progressive about um, non-binary fluid gender and sexual identities that it's kind of old school um, thinking uh, around an an either or kind of um, mentality. Uh, But the, but I do think in general there is just the question about um that's of interest to me uh, um when we have an idea about something and then you go and you do it, and you know how that matches or not <laughs> right. to what you thought it was going to be, and that you're also giving up the idea of it or the thoughts that you had about it because now that you have the real experience, you can't really conjure up the fantasy of it or the speculation about it because you now have the actual reference. So there is something that you give up when you do anything like, you know, a metaphor that I was using for a while that kind of got me to decide that I was going to do something about it. Cause it's a question I'd considered for a long time, but I didn't know if, you know, if I was going to make a mistake about giving something up that you can't, you know, go back and say, okay, well, never Um, I want my gold star back, like, <laughs> right. yeah. um, but w- was like traveling, right. You know, it's like, I love to travel and go places. And if somebody said to me, do you want to go to Singapore, which I've never been to Singapore, I'd be like, yeah, I totally, I would go, I would want to see it. And any ideas I might have about Singapore right now would be different. Once I go there, I would have a different experience of it than I could never really imagine Singapore the way I do now. Right. Um, And is that really a big deal? Um, And I decided that it that it wasn't that I really wanted to explore the thing. So I decided that the way that I would do that, I mean, because there's some options, right?
0: Uh (laughs) Certainly (laughs) are, yeah. (laughs) How do you find a man? (laughs) Men don't. uh, If men do have options, they don't always feel like they do. Like at least the men. That I'm used to hanging around with, like we're not we're not good at making the first move necessarily. Really? Yeah, we're not. I mean, not not me or my friends. Most of us we're <laughs> dorks. We're not. We're not like, you know, we're not smooth operators. I don't think. I, mean, I suppose in certain situations, uh-huh. and, and maybe I fancied myself that way at one time.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um,
0: anyway, back to your yeah your, yeah so. Your,
1: we'll, we'll, I decided that um, that the that I wanted to work with a sex surrogate. That I didn't want to just like go on to Tinder or OK Cupid, which is how I've certainly um, met women to have relationships with. It seemed like that was a little bit more complicated because I didn't want to say I'm a lesbian looking to have sex with a man for the first time because it just doesn't seem like that would be a good. You'd attract all
0: kinds of weirdos <laughs> exactly. you would get the worst of the worst if that right was, right or right, think you all get all a right. couple sweet sweet you know <laughs> guys who just were curious or whatever but you, that seemed, sounds yeah. like conquest material to me like that's like the kind of thing most hetero dudes would be like yeah, yeah. exactly you know no thanks i don't exactly. think i'd want to be you on the receiving end of that
1: Right, or I could just not say anything and enter into that, uh, keeping the fact that I've not had sex with a man to myself, and that seemed weird too. That is pretty um, weird.
0: It would be hard to, I mean, you'd be so self-conscious in right. during the act. There's no way you'd be able. You'd be thinking only about whether or not you're revealing.
1: The right. Fact, you
0: know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I didn't want to hire an escort or a prostitute type of scenario cause that also, I wasn't sure my, my, when I decided I was going to do something about it, my commitment was, that. um, maybe this goes back to your question about, are you the kind of person that decides to do something and then makes it and happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, patterns. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. I'm, I'm starting to see that too. Thank you for Good. eliminating that. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, i ha- happy to explore that <laughs> stuff. But I decided my, what I, decided that I would go down the path and that at any point I could say, I don't want to go further. So I wasn't, I didn't make the commitment to, I'm going to have sex with a man no matter what. I decided that I'm going to pursue that path until I don't want to go further down the path. That's and, a good way to
0: look at not only that, but kind of anything, I think. If you, uh, could, if you could tell yourself ahead of time, like this doesn't have to be life or death you know, uh-huh. a career or schooling or anything. If you just like right. this is off the topic, but it just occurs to me that that's, we, we, we sort of, that's how we limit ourselves all the time. Just by yeah. thinking like, if I do this, then what, you know, then I'm stuck doing this. I'm going to, you know, exactly. And, and you might have that, you, you might feel that, you know, based on your being uh, waiting tables for so long, you might have an extra little, reaction to that idea, you know? They're so like, oh, I'm going to get pulled into the, if I don't, I have to choose wisely because otherwise I'm going to be stuck doing something, Uh huh. you know? Anyway, that just, a or, uh,
1: yeah, no, I, I, I like that idea, including if it, it you know, at 17 when I took the job. Um, where they taught me how to wait tables if they'd said, and you know, if you take this job, you're gonna have this career for the next twenty five years. I you know, who knows? I would I have said yes, I don't yeah. think. <laughs> um but uh which is why I didn't want to hire uh, escort, because that seemed like the decision when this person arrives. I mean, of course, I could say no at any time, but it just seemed a little bit too much um, focused on the end result. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to do it that way. <laughs>
0: yeah, that makes sense.
1: And so a sex surrogate, at least what I thought I understood that to be, seemed like a slightly therapeutic scenario Who and that, I'm, that they work with people around their sexual uh issues or experiences and so it seemed a little bit more intentional Mm -hmm. um and so and was your plan
0: to bring in someone you knew or to to find a way to no i
1: uh i um went to google (laughs) okay (laughs) i googled sex surrogate san francisco and you know there was a lot of information there, which was immediately overwhelming uh, but I decided to uh, reach out to a female sex surrogate to refer me to a male sex surrogate and I got two referrals and I chose one of them and I am no longer a gold star lesbian and that's <laughs> the rest that's not... of the information you'll have to come see the show so <laughs> oh, okay yeah can
0: you say can you say uh... Do you want to say anything about it, like how it has changed you, or or uh, or do you want it? You want to save that for the?
1: I will say this: like people who see you. <laughs> um, I thought that it was a fairly straightforward problem that I was trying to solve. Oh, you know, I've never had sex with a man. I'm going to do this thing, and like most things in life, it, it was incredibly more complicated uh really um i started writing the show before i even hired the surrogate i decided that i was going to do this as a show so that that was new most of my shows are relatively fresh content like and but this was like like the package hadn't even been opened yet it with that you know right. i was like Super committing <laughs> exactly and so um and it's much more complicated than just what I thought was a story about a woman who hasn't had sex with a man that hires a man and has sex with, and whatever whatever happens from that. But um, it has, you know, as many threads to to many different themes. One being what we've already sort of touched on, which is what happens when your fantasy becomes a reality, or you choose to, you know seek out a real experience of something that you've only ever imagined. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the, uh, the sex, I, I do have had a sex fantasy, uh, a fantasy about having sex with men before I had sex with a man. That was really, it's a very common, as I've come to discover a very common female sexual fantasy. So there was nothing particularly unique. Um, but it was really about being desired. Uh, That's the other sort of theme, Um, a longing to be desired. And um, I hadn't anticipated exploring that and uncovering that and learning a lot about that uh, and my own experience of it. That, That part was a discovery in this experience, my relationship to feeling desired, And my own desiring of other people.
0: Huh. So yeah, it was a much bigger thing than just a physical, like, you know, act. Yeah, I thought it was
1: gonna. Right, I thought it'd be kind of a snappy little show.
0: Right. Hey, everybody, I got laid. (laughs) Exactly. Here's my star. Right. Uh, um, So, can I ask how that? Like, were you reluctant to tell your other? lesbian friends and if, and when you did, what were the, what were the reactions?
1: Well, you know, it, I've never really had a lot of lesbian friends for starters. I never really felt very connected to the gay community or, um, had a cadre of lesbian friends. Um, and, but what's been interesting to me about sharing this story and this idea, cause I certainly talked have talked to to a lot of people about it before I ever even completed my work with the surrogate um and it's been interesting to me that many different people um age-wise, gender, sexual identity-wise have f- been very interested in the story and I think interested in it beyond just the sort of um uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the sensationalistic kind of like, oh, wow, you hired a surrogate? I want right. to hear more about that. I mean, I think on some level it has that sort of like, you know, insider edition <laughs> right. kind of appeal. And just um, the
0: taboo of like, you know, straight man, gay woman. What you Right, know, right. You know, it definitely sounds like a, a show and that it, people are going to want to tune into.
1: Right, right. And but at the, 53, you know. Right.
0: And, very racy. Um, but, but it is so much more than that, even like just beyond the surface, you can see that this has to do with desire and love and, and, you know, acceptance and all these other things that are, you know, come along for the ride, whether you are aware of it or not until it, you know, once it shows up, like, oh yeah, I guess that would make sense that there's more to it than just do it, you know boning or whatever
1: or even sexual identity I mean that that's um the question that comes up for me you know it's I've come to have more questions about my sexual identity that I didn't ever have before because I was pretty much like oh, I'm a lesbian I like women I've only ever had relationships with women I want to I find women physically attractive I don't necessarily find myself physically attracted to men. Um, but in this process, I'm, you know, having to really look at what were the circumstances that have led to my relational history, my sexual history with people in, I don't personally feel like the, I was just born this way is um, uh, an explanation that I relate to around my gay identity, huh, and I think that's that that's, yeah, you feel and like I, it was
0: more uh, environmental,
1: possibly. You know, and I, and I realize that that's probably controversial for many people, and and I think that's where there that feels edgy to me, and and I'm not, you know, we all have different kinds of experiences, and and there are plenty of people that have that clarity of their identity. And I think my life in general has lacked a real strong clarity. I think that, that, you know, the, what should I be when I grow up uh, waiting to feel like I really know Mm -hmm. I don't, um, I, I don't at least right where I am now. I, I don't know that I know why I don't feel like I was born a lesbian. I'm, um, you know, God made me gay. That doesn't f- feel congruent for me. I think it's much more complicated around my family history experience, my, uh, my relationship with men as a child and not having much of a, um, I didn't meet my father until I was 30. Uh-huh. um, My brothers were somewhat older and antagonistic. I didn't really have any male figures that I had any kind of warmth of relationship with or comfort with. Mm -hmm. So I sort of grew up with this feeling of men are uh, to be avoided. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which I don't think is what anyone would want to define a lesbian being, someone that thinks that men are to be avoided. I would like to think that my... Lesbianism and my gayness is is driven by a desire, of, right. um, in my soul and longing, and and I'm not so sure how much of it is. Um, so that's that's been interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a, it's kind of a big deal even to to state that, and I appreciate you doing so because um, it is controversial, at least from what I've heard, uh-huh. you know, other people express on the topic. Um, it's not to me I mean I think that's honest I think you're you're saying you don't know and it could have been some of I was born this way and it could have been some other stuff too and right. I think or, and I think it makes perfect psychological sense that it would be it would have to do with your the, the men that you were exposed to um and the women like you were you did have the mm-hmm. nurturing of your grandmother and you know it makes sense that you would seek love in that direction and, mm-hmm. and sort of stay clear of these other a-holes mm-hmm. of which yeah. there are many.
1: So it's interesting. It suggests on some level, some agency or choice happening there, which is, um, for, uh, the experience of a pop- population that has felt, you know, has been oppressed and, um,
0: Bleep, warp, warp, warp. Technical difficulties. Bleep, warp, warp. Experiencing technical difficulties. Experiencing technical difficulties. Oh man, that was that was nerve wracking.
1: Sorry about that. It,
0: it's okay. It's this yeah. seems to happen. Um, few. So, all right. Well, we, I'm not sure exactly where you cut out. Uh, yeah. Uh, do you, do you know what we were
1: in general? I was talking about feeling a little bit risky in suggesting that my experience of identifying as a gay person, um, what I'm coming to look at in taking on this project of having sex with a man, um, Mm -hmm. has revealed to me that some questions about my agency in my sexual identity, as opposed to, um, the way that I'm probably thought about it prior to, which was just sort of that my gayness is something that is like the color of my skin. It's just, I was born this way. I didn't choose to be, you know, a little browner, um, than my white, uh, siblings. Um, right. and I would have said that I didn't choose to be gay, uh, compared to my heterosexual siblings. Right. Like that, that, that those two things felt largely like I didn't, Choose that necessarily, but I, I'm questioning for myself more um, a circumstance and choice that le- that has led to uh, a history of sex with women, which is very right. different than it feeling like. Um, and I don't, I'm not at an answer with that, and I don't think I will find an answer. But it has opened up that question, and so um, yeah, it's been a much more complicated. Story to engage in than I thought.
0: Yeah, and can I ask, is that because it was good? Like, was it, was it, was it surprisingly intimate, or was there something? Like, was there some aspect of it that was just totally surprising to you? No, or, or,
1: or. I mean, I did learn some things that I wasn't expecting to learn, um, but the sexual experience itself was, I mean. It doesn't – I can't compare it to any sexual experience I've had with anyone else because all of my other sexual experiences have been, for the most part, something that two two people mutually went into. Whereas hiring someone to have a sexual experience with, by definition, lacks a lot of the spontaneity and in, in creativity and choice, so to speak – I mean, right. that's not. There's a lot that can be done in a paid scenario, um, or a therapeutic scenario, but um, but it has
0: to be discussed first. Yeah, like usually, and there's. A,
1: I yeah, I mean, so there is. It was certainly an intimate, in terms of emotionally intimate, but the 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 thrill or the. On the one hand, a lot of noise um, was eliminated in this um, physically intimate interaction with the surrogate. Um, unlike all of my relationships, which had all of the like romance or the drama or the fear or the anxiety about the relationship coupled with a physical, sexually intimate experience. So that wasn't present for the surrogate, which was very interesting because it's kind of like a vacuum, right? It's like, oh, wow get to just have this physical experience without all the drama. Yeah. Um
0: And you but... hadn't had anything like that with the woman that was,
1: Mm-mm. no? Not really. Because even if I, I've i certainly had sex with people that I maybe didn't feel as emotionally um, pulled into, but then there's all those like, how come I don't feel this way? Maybe I should. Right. I hope I'm not going <laughs> to hurt her feelings. You know, all that. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah oh wow well it's really interesting that you set out to sort of just sort of take care of this thing this like errand that you had (laughs) or curiosity or whatever it is to-do list (laughs) yeah but then it wound up being this like really uh you know eye-opening experience and all these deeper levels Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool Mm mm-hmm and makes you makes you wonder like what how much of it is just already scripted in our heads and you know not not um uh, open to interpretation because we already tell this story you know like right. how how much of what we our decisions and how we like okay i'm going to avoid men all my life because that was the idea that i got that they were somehow uh, not to be trusted or they're dangerous or whatever, whatever it was, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that has shaped you, that's, you know, shaped your life in ways that you can't really, you, you can't know how it would have been different without having that frame of reference. So I... it's pretty amazing to go, you know, in your, in your fifties to have that sort of awakening I would think it would cause you just to look back at all these other, you know, maybe they were missed opportunities or just different opportunities that mm-hmm. that you avoided because, well, that's those are men. That's a you know, that's not what I do. That's not that has nothing to do with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I'm. It's sort of a vague thing that I'm throwing out there. But I, it just for me, if it were if I thought it was this one way, basically my whole life, and then realized, well, maybe that isn't why I'm the way I am, then I would start asking all kinds of questions, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I started working with the surrogate uh, the end towards the end of the year. So I started working on the show before I began work with the surrogate. And um, I was going to perform it in April. And then, of course, you know, the COVID situation and um, live theater and being in a space with other people no longer being an option has delayed quote unquote my performance of this show, which in some ways has had great benefits. It's like, I've got to open it up creatively and explore some other things. And, but I'm also, um, I'm still, you know, digesting the experience and what does this mean and how, what story am I telling? And so, um, it, it, I'm not done figuring it out not that I ever will be, but in terms of how to tell the story or what is the story that I'm telling so
0: right because it's yeah. ongoing it's, yeah you're still I, write, I, reading it not right. even writing it necessarily. you're just finding out on your you know for yourself
1: yeah trying to uh, get a look at it from a little further away instead of swimming in it
0: yeah. Have you thought of do, of hiring another sex surrogate, a different one, to do it, just have a completely different experience and see if it's. If that I think anything? that I would,
1: yeah. If if I was gonna, you know, order the next thing on the menu, <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be that I would, um, I would, I wanna would want to try the experience of if if I were organically uh, able to have the experience of um, an intimate relationship with a man, even if it was just a, a one time thing, but that was happening more organically that it was someone who I would met and we had some connection and, you know, had a sexual experience that I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I think I'm more available to that now because I don't have the block of, well, but I've never had sex with a man. Yeah. So, um, you know, so maybe what that's
0: I, your reward for turning in gold star. So <laughs> you have this, this new wisdom and, uh, you know, increase, confidence. My,
1: <laughs> increase the, um, potential, um, candidate by 50%. Totally.
0: Yeah. Um, you're in the, you're, you're in the running. <laughs> <Exactly>. you, you... <laughs> it's that's a numbers great. game. Yeah. Um,
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that I would, Be interested to see what would it be like, because that's what most of my all of my other sexual experiences have been meeting somebody, you know, feeling a mutual desire or interest for whatever reason, for better or for worse, to become physically intimate. I've never had that experience with a man. So that would be kind of the I would like to see what that would be like, because it would be very it's very different than, you know, there's certainly benefits to getting a massage from somebody that you pay like all the great things about that. It's like, I don't have to do anything for you. I just (laughs) have to enjoy my thing, you know? Um, but this isn't a massage, you know, it's a, it is, um, for me anyways, I'm interested in the experience of desiring and being desired. And, um, so I think that's, I don't know that I want to seek that out. Like, I don't think I want to start, you know, dating people, men on Tinder. I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I don't have a to-do list to like get a boyfriend. Right. Um, but if that scenario were to present itself, I, I think that I, I, I don't imagine that I would say, no, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that. Um, I'd probably explore it. So I'd be, I would be curious to see what was, what would, what's that like?
0: That's cool. I, I admire that quality. I think it's really, uh, I mean, I, I, I am the same way. I just want to have firsthand experience of anything that interests me, you know,
1: mm-hmm. at
0: whatever level it interests me. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be the whole way, but it could, you know, I just think it's cool to follow that curiosity without judgment. Um, and I think it's healthy. I think it's good for us to like put ourselves into these unknowns and, and find our way back out. Um, Yeah. I don't know. And it, and I think it's cool that it's, I mean, how how, do you feel, how how does it make you feel as a person to have this new, like, how, how, is there a difference in the way that you, I don't know. It feels like it would have opened up this whole, this other road over here that you didn't even, think about for so long and then there's all these you're like oh I could do this now I could do you know has it done that has it changed like how you approach everything
1: Hmm.
0: or other things maybe not everything but
1: can you ask that question again I'll try. try I don't think
0: I <laughs> I know I didn't ask it that well the first time but I, but I'll try to reframe it um, I to to me, it would, um, I guess I'm just curious to know, like, y- you have this new, it's a revelation of sorts, I guess, that, you know, about yourself, that you have this other side that you didn't, you weren't really aware of, right? Mm-hmm. And you may have even had some feet, some ideas about what it was. And it turns out it wasn't that. So, um, to me, that's like a, that's, it's a big enough thing that it would make me start to question all these other convictions that I had. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if it's done that for you, if it's just made you say like, well, shit, if I'm not, you know, if being, if I thought I was a lesbian my whole life, and then I start to question that in, you know, well into adulthood, are there other things, other like delineations that I've been following and keeping myself constrained by that are also, more fluid than that.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd have to say, I guess the answer would be yes. Though I hadn't really thought about it. now. I feel like I'm going to be up all night <laughs> cataloging <laughs> all the assumptions I have about myself that probably aren't true.
0: Um, well, I hope I didn't open the, no, Pandora's I mean, box or anything. no,
1: I think so, it's, um, I think it's an astute observation. Um, and likely true i don't know off the top of my head as you ask that question i don't know that i am aware at this point of anything a- any identity marker that um that feels, um, that, that I'm aware, like, if, so as you were saying that I was sort of trying some things on, it's like, Oh, I've always thought of myself as a smart person. Maybe I'm not smart <laughs> <laughs> or, know. you know, I thought, thought of myself as a funny person, but maybe what would it be like if I you know, didn't believe that about myself? So, um, but I do think that perhaps the, the one that comes to mind for me as an identity that I've definitely rooted myself in is this otherness, you know, and I've already sort of referenced it in our conversation about the story I have about being a Brown child in a white family and being younger than everybody and being on the outside and how comfortable I am and my otherness. Um, yeah, I do think that that's, uh, the next, um, I guess just for lack of a better word, say show or a memoir content that I'm interested in exploring is that very question. Like how much of my assumption that, that I am other has contributed to my otherness as opposed to other people othering me.
0: Right. <laughs> I totally get it. I, I think it's probably for most of us, it's a lot more than we've previously thought. Because because okay. I, I, I mean I've learned that just through doing this podcast, talking to so many people who whose lives are much different or their whatever their perceptions of their own lives is so different from mine um, of myself that I just imagine every one of us is carrying around this this thing that's like, well I think I'm this way, and nobody else on the entire planet sees us that way. We care. We just have this whole idea. Like even when the good stuff happens, there's still this. Yeah. But I'm also this, you know, maybe not everybody has that habit. I know, I know that I'm, I'm always ready with some, some like you're not good enough story. Um, Yeah. But I think a lot of it came from me, you know, it may have started externally, but I think I just picked up that story and ran with it and on, on some level, because maybe it was working for me. Maybe I was getting sympathy or, or attention in some way that felt better than <laughs> to be ignored. You know. So I don't know. I think it's whenever I hear somebody talk about their otherness, uh, some people have a have a you know like you have a couple examples of fairly obvious ways in which you either you stood out or you felt like you stood out. You felt different. And some people have much less obvious ones, but they still have that same core feeling about some some part of themselves. You know, I guess that's what I'm getting at. It's a, it seems to be a universal thing, even if you look around and all your you know, it seems like every everything's as it should be. Um, does that does is that is I just rambling on in my own world? Or does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, well I guess um what what I was thinking when you were talking about that was both the experiences that I've had around people seeing things in me that I haven't been able to see in myself yet. Um that then once I come to that realization and I'm like, "Hey, like being an artist, right? Like I resisted that forever and forever and Um, literally people would say to me on a regular basis that don't even know me, oh, are you an artist? And I would be like, no, why do you think I'm an artist? And then like, you know, when I finally came around to that, I'm like, I'm an artist. I'm finally able to admit it. Everyone's like, what are you talking about? You've always been an artist. So it's like this somehow, um, I mean, I, um, I can relate to what you were saying around like, how am I, you know, I took the story and I ran with it and maybe it was easier or, um, my way of coping. Uh, but I also think that, you know, it's hard to see our own, our own stuff, um, the light and the dark of, of it. And, um, you know, sort of like I'm always the last to know. Uh, but I don't, (laughs) you know, I don't think that, um. Well, maybe I don't know. I was I was gonna say I don't think people have been w- wandering around going when's Julie gonna have sex with a man? My God, when's she gonna figure that out? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay.
0: you're probably right. It's not <laughs> it's not as big a headline in their in their running tally of you know what matters in the world. It, I mean, that's the other part of it too, is that we you know we drum up this idea that our whatever our story is it's got to be the main event you know it's got to be what everybody thinks about you know mm-hmm. and it's so it's just completely not true and I don't know why I I keep gathering evidence that it's not true from all my friends who are like oh I didn't see you that way at all right you know I never all these all these things that I recount you know my version of and and somebody else is like yeah that wasn't at all my experience makes me question every, like every bit of it makes me start to wonder if I'm nuts, if I've just been like, you know, holding this filter in front of every experience I've ever had that, you know, come comes back with some sort of uh, tainted result. Like it's some, it's something, here's what happened, but because you only see things this way, here's how you experienced it. And, you know, so my, mm-hmm am I diminishing my own life experience just by holding all these value, you know, holding these weird ideas about myself? And I think the answer is yes, I am, I am. I'm, you know, I'm creating problems where there aren't any, you know, I'm telling entire fables about this character that, that apparently only existed in my mind. Hmm. So that's a little worrisome. Uh, well,
1: there's probably a, um, I would imagine the upside to that as well. Like the, your belief in your ability to do something has resulted in your ability to do those things, too. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, I think. You're
0: right. Sorry, yeah, the, go ahead.
1: Like the, um, like this podcast, right? Like there was some part of you that had some story about a desire and interest to do it, ability to do it. What was interest? You know, what was interesting to you about it? That's,
0: sure. that was a story too right yeah well and there were you know a lot there's a long list of reasons why it maybe couldn't happen but then that list just kept getting shorter because every time i looked at why i couldn't do it i couldn't come up with an answer um, but i was mm-hmm. so accustomed to looking at it in that way like rather than oh of course i can do it I, I started out with like, well, I don't know what, you know, I'm not sure if I am worthy or, or who wants to listen to me or, you know, like all that kind of shit started coming up, mm-hmm. uh, that isn't really based on my abilities at all. It's just based on this false perception that, you know, I'm unwanted in some way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think that's where all that's like basically where all of my hang ups reside it's just like, oh, you know, I, I'm unlikable or I'm, I wasn't needed or or wanted or uh, acknowledged in that scenario, you know, that's mm-hmm. the kind of old school little kid fears that I, that are still embedded. It's like yeah. my psyche is just like waiting to, waiting to be hurt again in that same way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I totally have that same, that same thing. Do you? Yeah. Do you know uh, what you are on the Enneagram by any
0: chance? <laughs> well, it's funny, yes, I just you from- recently I am I'm not super familiar with it, but my aunt is and um and actually one of my other guests also talked about it. Um I think I'm a 4. Uh I don't yes. you know, I think it's up to your own discretion yeah. at, at some level, but I'm pretty sure 4 fits the best for me.
1: Yes, that's what I was. I'm a four as well, and so some of the things that you were saying, I was like, oh my god, that totally sounds like four, um, <laughs> four material. So uh, yeah, I find the enneagram fascinating, uh, interesting. All of those assessments, I think, are interesting. Um, but the enneagram for me most recently has been enjoying learning about.
0: Yeah, I'm. I am too. It's fairly. It's a fairly new. I mean, I guess I've known about it for a while. I just didn't really investigate much, um, but I've had a couple of good condensed schooling sessions, and it it definitely sounds uh, it sounds like a better fit for than some of the others. Because I've done some of the other assessments too, and they're a bit more rigid or sort of lead you to believe you can only be like you have to sort of squeeze yourself to fit into the the right mm-hmm. categories. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't seem like that so much with the enneagram.
1: No, and what I like about it, at least the way some people teach it, which I think is good, which is true of all all of these things, but there's the shadow and the light of that of each of those characteristics, right? right. The um of the the four as the, the these well also just of the of the characteristics themselves you know the, the four is the artist the creative the longing to be unique the and then the shadow of that being the never belonging not you know focusing on what one doesn't have and okay you know, that there's sort of a light and a dark to both which I appreciate because sometimes the way any of those astrology or um, which the, I, astrology is a system that I also find very compelling. But sometimes the way some people talk about those things are um, the negative qualities of that. And so the linking for me of the shadow and the light of those qualities, like certainly being creative and being the artist, in, I, I think is generally considered a somewhat positive thing. And yet what are the the shadow elements on the other side of that? To be able to link those to light, I think are good, right?
0: yeah that's um, yeah, so a good point uh, yeah and it's a little more honest too it's just you know it it's acknowledging that we all carry a pretty wide spectrum of you know everything <laughs> feelings and expressions and um so to say there's a light in a dark makes more sense to me than to just say you're this way you uh right. you're you're you know outgoing here are mm-hmm. an extra um yeah but uh uh yeah, I I'm I'm fascinated by all that stuff, but I also tend to take what I like and leave the rest, you know? Yes. Like I don't I don't really if I feel like something doesn't fit, I I trust my own sense of that over yeah. whatever the system is. Yeah. Which I think is a good thing.
1: Definitely, I think. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, Cool. Well, how um, how are you feeling? I feel like we talked about some good stuff.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's been uh, it's been great. It was quite a um, extensive exploration and a wide range, at least um, from my experience. So, I'm not oh, sure good. if that created some good um, material for you,
0: but for sure, yeah. I I mean, I'm, I just love to to hear people explore their themselves uh openly and and just be i just think it's so cool to be able to have a conversation about what's going on inside of us and then have that conversation actually change what's going on inside of us yeah i think that's a pretty powerful tool it's just you know i mean every every conversation could be uh therapeutic or educational or you know somehow beneficial if you if you're open to that, mm-hmm. so um, yeah, so I really appreciate you being open to that.
1: Well, thank you for the invitation. It's um, it was great. Yeah, it's fun to be interviewed. I think. Yeah. Cool.
0: I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad it didn't. You that was your experience and not some other. It didn't feel like being grilled or something.
1: No, you you seem genuinely curious and interested in that makes it for a um, a good container, you know, of, of a willingness to talk about something. I didn't feel like I was, there was a time pressure to get to the good part or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: And I didn't even know what the good part was. So I was just <laughs> for waiting for you to reveal it.
1: I'm not sure I know where the good part is either, but.
0: <laughs> I think it's all pretty good. I think, I think talking about it is good one way or another.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: cool. Well, thanks so much, Julie. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Justin. It's been lovely. And I look forward to uh, listening to some of your other episodes.
0: Thank you. Thanks for listening. And and I look forward to meeting you in person someday.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much. Um, Thank you. I'll talk to you later. I'll let you know when it goes up.
1: Okay. Thanks.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening everyone. That was Julie G. Um, I am embarrassed to say that I did not ask her how to pronounce her last name. And I'm gonna spell it for you, but I think it's Gisaki It's G-I-E-S-E-K-E. Uh, so you can find out all about Julie on her website, which is Julie Giseke, I hope I'm saying that right.com. Julie spelled the way it's always spelled, unless you're a weirdo. Um, No offense to weirdos or Julies with weirdly spelled names. So anyway, I want to thank my guest, Julie, uh, for being open and honest and sharing her story. I love when I meet somebody for the first time and can delve into personal stuff right off the bat. And it's fun and exciting and interesting. And I hope it was for you, too. So, um, the sex surrogate story that we talked about, um, uh, is, was meant to be a live performance, um, back in April in San Francisco. And now instead will be, or at least for now until it can be performed live, uh, it will be released in four 15 minute episodes through her website coming soon, uh, a little later this summer. So... Uh, please check that out. It's called No Wonder. No Wonder. Um, so yesterday was the 4th of July, and uh, that's a holiday I don't really get behind, sort of like Thanksgiving. Um, I can't really celebrate things that uh, ignore and exclude entire uh, massive sections of populations. Um, and the atrocities that, uh, occurred to get to those holidays, um, not for me and neither are loud explosions for hours and hours on end. But I did get to see my mom yesterday and my daughter and my daughter's mom and my daughter's mom's sister and my daughter's mom's sister's wife. So that was pretty Cool. Uh, great people, and it's been a long time, and we all live in caves now. So it's pretty cool when we get when we get to come out and see each other. Um, I have some art and some music that I'm selling uh, to raise money for both the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and for local and national bail funds uh, to help get some people out of jail when they get arrested for speaking up against this uh, tyrannical regime. And uh, those can be found, I'm going to include the links again with this episode, but justinwhite.bandcamp.com, and that's Justin, J-V-S-T-I-N, or modverse.bandcamp.com, two very different styles of music, Check them both out, pay whatever you want for the album, and my share of that, I will donate directly to those causes. Then you can also go to Etsy to look at some art. Etsy.com slash shop slash crud hutch. It's a hutch of crud. There are a few items listed presently, and I will continue to add more uh, over time, and I will continue to add causes that at least some of the revenue will go toward. So please check those things out. Lastly, um, my podcast outspoken when I started it two and a half years ago or whatever it was, uh, was the only one by that name. Now there are several with the exact same name. There's even one that's using a logo that is, uh, criminally close to mine. And, um, So I'm hoping to raise my ratings a bit so that when you search for my podcast, it actually shows you mine and not somebody else's. So please, please, oh please, wherever you listen, if it's possible to subscribe or like or do anything that would uh, help influence the, oh, I don't know, popularity of this program, that would be awesome. Uh, and that includes telling your friends if they're looking for a new podcast to listen to. So please, uh, if you're on iTunes or whatever it is, just subscribe. You don't have to, you could subscribe and then remove it from your library. You don't even have to, you know, commit to anything. It just helps me out a lot. So I greatly appreciate it. And that is that. Um, I love you all very much, my fellow human beings. Some of you are jerks, but you're going to wake up eventually. And those of you who are not jerks, good job. I appreciate you. And thanks again to Julie. And thank you to everything and everyone who's good and doing good in the world. And the rest of you take a hike. See you next week.